Welcome to Pastor's Class. We are at a great spot in Matthew tonight. We are finally to the Lord's Prayer. You get to Matthew chapter 6, so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 6. And we'll look specifically just at the prayer itself. From verse 9, it goes down to about verse 15. But there is a preamble to that that you probably have already been over. The preamble is Jesus talking about what not to do in prayer. And then we get to the Lord's Prayer. So let me read it, and, uh, and then we'll pray and get started. Let me read it. <clears throat> pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then Jesus gives some, some commentary. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you will use uh, the Lord's Prayer in front of us tonight to, to give us a model and help us to become men and women of prayer. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Here we are at the Lord's Prayer. Now, we call it the Lord's Prayer because Jesus is teaching the disciples. Over in Luke, uh, where this is also in Luke, you have the disciples saying, Lord, teach us how to pray, and then here comes the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew, it's included in the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> Now, I don't know that we should call it the Lord's Prayer. Probably, it should be called the Disciples' Prayer or the Model Prayer. Uh, really, the Lord's Prayer is over in John chapter 17 where uh, you would see the high priestly prayer. Jesus prays for His own in John 17. But here in the Lord's Prayer, um, we'll just call it the Lord's Prayer for our purposes tonight. Matthew chapter 6, this is a great place to go. So if you're going to memorize things in the Bible... I think it's good to memorize uh, Romans 8. I think it's good to memorize uh, Psalm 23, maybe Psalm 42. I think it's good to memorize Psalm 51. I really think the Lord's Prayer is really important to memorize. Not just so you can recite it, but I think it's best used as a guide. Uh, it's best used as an outline for how you pray, maybe in the mornings. I do this a lot of times. Um, when I'm having my devotion after reading the Bible, I'll use the Lord's Prayer uh, to, to walk me through the things that I should be praying for for that day. So as we think of it, I want you to think of it as an outline. Uh, think of it as a model prayer. And think of it as a, a God-centered prayer. Because really when you read it, when you, when you go through each petition here, you find out this is actually a, a really good, a God-centered prayer. So often we um, think about prayer, uh, we think about things like uh, the prayer of Jabez. You might remember a few years ago that was really popular, the prayer of Jabez, and you, and you were praying, asking God to increase you, and there were, you know, that really sort of got out of hand. Everybody was using it almost like a magic spell, which I, that's just not a good way to do it. It's good for us to see what does Jesus teach us about prayer. So let's just go through a couple of things that I'd like to point out. Uh, as you think about verse 9 and what Jesus says, you'll notice that God-centered prayer is always focused on God as Father. 
It's a focus on, on your Father. One of the most radical things that you learn from the New Testament is that when you are in Christ, God is in fact your Father. That He's not an enemy, that He is uh, not some force against you, that when you are adopted in Christ, He's your Father. When you, if you have a good father, um, if you have a good father, that really is a pale example for us. So a good father is going to provide security, um, protection. A good father is going to provide hope. Uh, if you're a child and you have a, a father that works and he's provided a roof over your head, a good father brings this real sense of belonging. A good father is strengthening. In fact, in fact, the way the prayer is structured, Jesus says, pray it like this, our Father in heaven, our Father, our Father. Notice that it didn't just say my Father. There is a real sense that uh, when you are a Christian, you are in a community of other people that used to be orphans, but now are adopted children of God, that He, in fact, is our, our Father. We're in this together. There is this real sense of, of reliance when you think about your father. We, we come to him uh, empty-handed. It's good to remember, and this prayer does a good job reminding us that, that we come to God empty-handed. The text uh, where Jesus teaches about God being our father, it's a good reminder that, that he is a merciful father. I mean, isn't that what Ephesians Ephesians 1, 5, you know, I preached Ephesians a few years ago, and, uh, and there Paul says that we are predestined to adoption as sons. Or, or later, over, later over in Galatians, Galatians 4, Paul says that we are no longer slaves, not a part of the family, but when you're in Christ, sons and daughters of God. I think this prayer is really a great reminder that, um, that He is our Father, that He shows mercy. It's a good reminder that He keeps us, that he, that he watches over us. The Bible teaches that God never sleeps and He never slumbers, that He is there to, to save and protect. This is a good, um, this is a good spot to, to lengthen the phrase, Jesus teaches He is our Father who is in heaven. It puts us in the mind of a, of a paradox that we, we realize His eminence, that He is close, and it's right for us to stress that. We, we need to keep pointing to the closeness of God in Jesus, but we need to not ever forget the transcendence of God, that He is our Father in heaven, that, that He is ineffably holy, that He is beyond anything we, we can consider. <clears throat> you know, I'm going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, we'll be in Ecclesiastes 10 this Sunday. But Ecclesiastes 5 is one of those passages you pause and look at, and there in Ecclesiastes 5, the preacher says, Do not be hasty in word when you go into the temple, because God is in heaven and you are on earth. Let your words be few. It's a reminder of just of God's holiness. Uh, it's something we don't think about enough. I feel like we, we need to think about our, our God who is holy. This is um, this also is a is a is a separating prayer. <clears throat> Remember, the disciples asked Jesus in Luke, <clears throat> "Lord, teach us to pray, 
So he teaches the disciples, believers, how to pray. The Lord's Prayer is not for unbelievers. It is a family prayer. It's just the phraseology, our Father in heaven. It is an exclusive prayer. It is a reminder that, that all humans are not children of God. They are created in God's image. It's true. We believe that. But everybody, everybody's not a child of God. The children of God are, are those who have been adopted and purchased by the blood of Jesus and now have come from being dead in sin to being made uh, children, being made righteous, and therefore, on the merits of Jesus, have the right to actually say, Our Father, our Father in heaven. God-centered prayer uh, reminds us of the fatherhood of God. Something else about a God-centered prayer, you'll see it again in verse 9. The God-centered prayer is, is filled with awe. But what I mean is you are aware of the godness of God. In fact, the way uh, Jesus teaches is, here's, what, here's how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. Hallowed means to, <clears throat> to see something as holy and to, to make it holy. To see something as, as completely different than anything else and then to, to point to that, to adorn it with, with, with holiness. It means to see uh, the name of God as 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 precious and valuable and to, to hold it dear. One of the things that uh, it makes me nervous for Christians right now going into our cultural moment in the next 10 to 15 years with the Equality Act and, and just with the way culture is moving in such a rapid pace and the issues we're going to have to face are, are much more than how, how do we do a how do we do a budget and how do we uh, get along at work? I really think we are headed into legitimate um, uh, persecution in some regard. I think that we're probably going to face that. And it's important that you and I get a hold of the fact that it is our Father in heaven and, and we are called as His children to point to His holiness, to to hold his name as being precious, to, <clears throat> to hold his name dear, to, to take seriously. That's why I think discipleship really involves less of how to and more of who is. I think discipleship has much more to do with you getting to know who this God is and, and your life being saturated with an awareness of the holiness of God. I mean, when you read the Old Testament, you read uh, Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you read all that God does, you go into uh, uh, Joshua and Judges even, and every time you see God deliver His people, and He does it a lot, every time you see Him do that, what you find out, He does that for, for Israel, although Israel is just as wicked, say, as the Egyptians, so Israel deserved to go to hell just like the Egyptians. But God does it to save His people because of His love for His people. But go and read it. It always has to do with His great name. This prayer reminds us that 
We come to God, our Father, who is in heaven, and we're asking God to give us grace so that we might live in such a way that we hallow, that we make holy the name of God. A God-centered prayer should be filled with all. Something else in, the, in this prayer I'd like to point out. A God-centered prayer uh, has a different agenda. Look, go with me to the and So listen to what, what Jesus teaches. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom. Here comes your agenda. Your kingdom come. The kingdom of God. When Jesus started his earthly ministry, he preached and said the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist pointed to Jesus, the kingdom of God is at hand. What did he mean? It's the inbreaking of God into humanity so that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the way God fills his people is different. Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come for deliverance and would be gone. New Testament, once Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, I would send another helper. That helper is the Holy Spirit. We're Trinitarian, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And God's people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, the kingdom of God is, is what we work toward. So our purpose has less to do with culture and more to do with the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's like what St. Augustine wrote um, in 410, the sacking of Rome. He wrote the great work, uh, the city of God, the city of God and the city of man. The city of man is the human culture. The city of God is the, is the inbreaking of God's kingdom. That should be evident in what we do. That should be us looking, looking different than the world. This should be evident in our worship. What, is our, what does our worship look like? What does your personal worship look like? It should be evident um, that's, that's lived out in personal evangelism. And our own walk with God is such that we can't help but share the gospel in hospitality with neighbors or at work. It, it, it comes out in, in how we live and what we say. It should be evident in worship and lived in evangelism it should be seen in, in our mission. Not just your personal mission, but let's just take Hickory Grove. The mission of our church must be the kingdom of God. And that is taking the gospel to those that don't have the gospel, living the gospel, being able to, to withstand the culture we live in be, and to suffer for the gospel. A, a God-centered prayer has a, a, a different agenda. It takes your life in a different direction. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come. It is you saying, I want the kingdom of God to reign in my life and not just my own worldly desires. God-centered prayer. Has a different agenda, but, but just something else here that helps with that, <clears throat> that is that a God-centered prayer rejoices. Rejoices in submission. Let me show you where I get that. You'll notice um, in the prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done at, on earth as it is in heaven. So the perfect will of God is being done all the time in heaven. We know that. And, and our prayer is that the perfect will of God would be done in our lives. I mean, that's what Jesus says. Here's what you pray. Pray that, um, 
that the will of man, your own personal will, would be submitted, gladly submitted, to the will of God. <clears throat> I use the, the word submission because I want to uh, think about what does it mean to give yourself over to the will of God, to gladly yield to the will of God. The word submission shows up uh, in Ephesians chapter 5 when it talks about husbands loving your wife as Christ does the church and wives submitting to your husband as the, the church does to Christ. Submission uh, should have a joyful ring to it. This, this willful giving over, this, this saying God's will is what I want regardless of what happens in my life. I mean, this, this prayer, uh, we see it in Jesus Remember Jesus in the garden, go with me in your mind to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. And there he knows he's getting ready to take on the sins of all of those that will ever be saved. He's going to, to pay for those sins. He's going to be the substitute. And so there in the garden, he's aware of that, the cup of sin. And uh, he asks that this cup would be removed. And the addendum that he includes in his prayer and teaches, the, teaches us to do the same is not my will but yours. This, this giving over that, uh, that although he despised the shame, he, he was joyfully going to the cross on our behalf. So bring that thought to this prayer, that your will be done. That it, it might be said like this, I want, I want what God wants. Now that, that's... That's fine if we're living in prosperity. I'm asking you to think about it in the painful times. When you lose someone you love, when something very tragic happens, when you walk through something that uh, is terribly painful, this is when this prayer becomes really important for us. Your will be done. That, that's the mark of a, of a growing Christian, of a disciple, of one that is, that is focused on the kingdom of God, that is that is focused on the Father, that, it's a, that is aware of the fact that God is your Father. He would never do anything that is bad for you. Where He's taking you, you may not understand, but you are yielding to that. And, and even, even gladly saying, I'm glad for the will of God to be done in my life. A good place to go for these kind of things, we can look back through Christian history. Um, not many of us have had to suffer very much, but, but it's good to, to look back through Christian history, look back be, before the Renaissance and into maybe the Reformation, or, or even go back further to the, the patristic age, the church fathers, and there you, you see Christians in the second and third century willingly, gladly, uh, suffering persecution for the will of God, that, that we trust that's, that's the will of God. There's something else that uh, goes into this prayer, <clears throat> and that is when you... You uh, pray that your will is done. God, your will is done. It is this reminder to yourself and declaration to God that you believe He is good, that His will is good, that He is sovereign over all, and, and you, you trust Him with your life. So, a God-centered prayer rejoices in submission. Let me give you a sixth thing. Let's go through the need. You get to the petitions down in verse 11. And let's just go through the, the petitions. Here's the fifth thing a God-centered prayer does. A God-centered prayer, uh, it comes quickly with our needs. We, we go to the Lord with our needs. So you see what the text says? 
Um, Jesus says in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. It's just a simple prayer that most of us in the Western world forget that we are absolutely reliant on God for everything we receive. He's teaching the disciples to remember where your provision comes from. It's a recognition that, that everything we have at every moment, every good thing we have, every morsel of bread we get actually does come from God. It, 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 this prayer right here, if you can memorize it and use it as an outline, give us this day our daily bread, it reminds us to come to God with our basic needs. This really does, uh, it harkens back, as so much of what Jesus teaches does, this harkens back to God's people in the wilderness, in Exodus, and they're wanting some sort of provision. They're dreaming that they used to have back in Egypt, and the Lord provides manna. Uh, manna is, is a word for, that means what is it, because they didn't know what it was. It's God's provision, and you can read the stories. Um, God did that day by day, giving them His provision. This is a reminder that it all comes from God. When you're asking God to provide, you're asking for specific things. This morning when I spent time praying, I prayed for actual specific things for people. It increases our faith. And it, it teaches us the, 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 the bigness of who God is. God-centered prayer would take our physical needs, but we also go, uh, this is a sixth point, we also come to God with our spiritual needs. And you'll see, you see the words in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. And then verse 12, uh, Jesus says, pray this, and forgive our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So take verse 11, verse 12. Key word in verse 11 is give. Uh, the key word in verse 12 is forgive. And, and the central theme of this prayer, and really the central theme of this passage, go and read all of it, um, eight times in six verses, you have the word forgive. You hear Jesus teaching his disciples to ask for forgiveness. Now, let's pause for a moment. What do we need forgiveness for? <clears throat> Before you were a Christian, you stood condemned by God as a holy judge. You were guilty in His court and deserved divine punishment. This is what we believe about becoming a Christian. And Jesus steps in in the great exchange and takes your penalty and receives the punishment at the cross. And there gives you His righteousness. So before a judge, you are justified. Right? You've been forgiven and that taken away. The, the sin that was sending you to hell is gone. You're no longer going to go to hell. So I don't want you to have so much a judge in your mind. Um, it's good for us to think of God as a father at this point. When you're a child of God now, you, you, your sins are already forgiven and you're not going to hell, but we still sin. And so now it's not as much standing in front of a judge as it is standing in front of your father. And our biggest problem, the biggest problem man has is sin, and the greatest solution is, is Jesus. The greatest need is forgiveness. And so one of the things that we need to remember when we're asking for the Lord to forgive us, when we are repenting of our sins, we're not saying that we feel like we've lost our salvation. 
What we're saying is we want to, to have right relationship with our Father. He is our Father, and it's good to go to your Father and say, please forgive me. And, and with that, you forgiving other people. I'll point out another thing about God-centered prayer. It shows us uh, to come to God with our everyday needs. I mean, do you, you see the guidance in verse 13? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And then verse 13, Jesus says, here's how to pray. Uh, lead us not to temptation. Guidance, right? You, a, a way, I mean, we're surrounded by temptation. It's a good thing for you to pray. Father, take me away from that. Protect me from that. Not just the sin involved, but the actual temptation of it. Because we are, we are weak people, and um, not only do we need strength to walk through temptation, it's best if I don't have to even be tempted at all. And so what a good prayer to pray, just an everyday need uh, for guidance away from temptation. A God-centered prayer keeps you um, aware of eternal needs. Do you see what, what he says to pray? Lead us not temptation, but deliver us from evil. That word deliver, uh, it actually is one of the few words uh, in this prayer that is like, it's, it's very emotional. It's kind of a cry. Uh, the word deliver means to, to save or rescue. We even use the word deliver to talk about what salvation is, that God has delivered us in Christ. And this prayer is just saying, <clears throat> God, do what I am incapable of doing. If you need someone to save you, if you're drowning in the ocean, you need saving because you can't do it yourself. This is, this is a confession that says, Lord, I, uh, I need your help. I need your help each day, not only just to keep me from temptation, but sometimes it's so bad, I need you to supernaturally save me out of it. There's one other thing before we go about this prayer. So you get through the Lord's Prayer, it's used as an outline. And then in verse 14 and 15, Jesus gives some commentary. Just some thought about forgiveness. And I would just add this last point, that a God-centered prayer keeps us focused on relational, relational needs. You see what he says? Verse 14 and 15. If you forgive others, for some of you, you this is where you need to hear this. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. So, what does this mean? Does this mean that, you don't, that if you don't forgive people, you're going to hell? No, that's not what this means. We've already talked about before the judge, Jesus saved you from condemnation. So, already you're a believer. But this does mean that you live in a strained relationship to God if you're living in a strained relationship to other people especially Christians. Let's talk about those that are believers in your life. If you are unwilling to be reconciled, remember Jesus, the minister of reconciliation, unwilling to be reconciled to other people after something terrible has happened, that means that, that your relationship with your father, although you're not condemned to hell, your relationship to your father is, is strained. So here's what Jesus says. You make sure that what you're asking for, you also are giving. That reconciliation not only saves us from hell and secures us a place with the Lord Jesus, 
That reconciliation makes us people that, that display Jesus, that live the gospel of Jesus, that know how to pray the Lord's Prayer. This is, this is what grace does. Grace saves us. Grace draws us near to God. Grace makes it so that we are able to forgive other people. The Lord's Prayer. I, I hope you'll use the Lord's Prayer in your own daily walk. I hope that it will become special to you, not just to recite it, but to be able to pray it through, and it will draw you closer to God. Let's close with a word of prayer, and it will be done. Father, thank you for this model prayer. And I pray that you would use it in my life. Lord, I pray that you would use it in the life of the men and women I serve here at Hickory Grove, that you make us people that depend on you, our good God and Father. In Jesus' name, amen.